So I'm just going to get today, uh, I'm going to get the ball rolling uh, with a little encouragement. This is a church and we are a community that people can belong to. A few weeks ago, I heard a really interesting talk about the process of belonging, about how when we come to know Jesus, we go through this really simple sort of three-step process of how we belong to something, we believe in something, and eventually we behave in a certain way. So to put that another way, I, believe in, I belong to God, and I believe in God, and then because of that, I behave in a way that honors what Christ did for me. Or just to put like a little uh, local analogy, I belong to York, I believe that York has the nicest minster, and if I met someone from Durham, I'd sort of tell them their minster was a bit rubbish, and they should go get a city with walls around it. I mean, chumps on the money there. And I think so often we actually, um, we get caught up on like these last two stages uh, of believing and behaving in the hope that people belong to something. And actually I think sometimes we miss how important uh, the process of belonging can be in a missional tool in itself. So these last few weeks, God's really, he's just really put it on, put it on my heart how important it actually is uh, like to belong to something in society. And we can see it all around us with things like Valentine's Day, how all around us people just want to belong to something. People are craving to belong to a relationship, to belong to a certain society, to belong to something. Uh, and I'm not a psychologist, even though half of G2 seems to be. <laughs> but it doesn't take a genius to work out that we as humans, like, we yearn and we want to belong to something. It's an inherent human desire to want to be a part of something. And I've just felt God really stirring up this vision of how we as a church, we could be that thing that people want to belong to. We could be that thing that people don't want to miss out on. How cool would it be if people started coming to, the church, to church just because they wanted to hang out with us? I mean, it'd be cool if they came to hear about Jesus as well, but like, how cool would that be if people were interested in just, just being part of this community and then from that, hearing a bit more? How cool would it be if we could shift people's perceptions of church away from this idea of being that place where the congregation is sort of 50 plus and you have that old lady at the front sort of banging out a tune on the organ? And actually sort of shifting those perceptions to a place where actually, like, everyone here is pretty normal, save for, I mean, a few sort of bad apples. <laughs> so, I mean, he embarrassed me earlier. This is, my, this is my payback. And Christian gave a really interesting talk last week uh, where he highlighted that we're in the middle of a huge shift in this country. Traditional churches are in decline. In the coming years, we're going to see a generation of people who might never have been to church or don't really know what to expect and like, that's just an incredible opportunity actually to shape people's perceptions, to show people what church can be, what church could be, what it should be, what it was intended to be, rather than what it has been or historically has been viewed as being. Now, I mean, I've only been here a few months, but the one thing that's just so abundantly clear about, this, about G2 is that community is one of our best strengths. And from that, we have such an opportunity to use that as a missional tool. I think it's probably like... This room right now, if you look around, like this is probably one of the most diverse and inclusive communities of anywhere you'd find. There are people of every background. We've got multiple languages, people from different countries. And I, think, I don't think there's any reason why Joe Bloggs off the street couldn't feel like he identifies with at least one person in this room. I don't think there's any reason why someone shouldn't be able to belong here, shouldn't feel that they couldn't belong here. But at the end of the day, people can't belong if we don't bring them along. So just to really sort of summarize, like the power of belonging can be one of our greatest missional tools. 
When people belong to something, I think they're more inclined to be interested in what it is that actually brings us together, what it is that unites everyone in this room. When people see that we're not some sort of strange bunch of hippies, that can really make people sit up and actually take note and be like, wow, what is it that really brings everyone here together? What is it that unites everyone? And things like going to the pub afterwards, meeting up with friends for coffee, youth group, just being purposeful in the way that we mix people from G2 with those that don't know Christ, I think there's such power in that. There's a huge opportunity. And these different things, they're great ways to bring people in. It's a great people, it's a great way to show people what church is. The strength of the church isn't in the building, but it's in the people. And we take that wherever we go. Every week this room feels a bit smaller because every week we're having to put out another row of chairs because slowly and slowly we're creeping towards the back of that room. I mean, what a great problem that is to have that in the coming months or in the coming years we're going to have to find another venue or we're going to have to change something because more and more people are coming. But again, I reiterate, people cannot belong if we don't bring them along. This room isn't going to get filled if we're not bringing people. And I think it's so great that we have this community, but like, let's keep going, like, let's strive for more. Like, God has given us this gift, and like, let's keep going, let's, pe- let's keep bringing people in. So I'd just like to leave us with like, one final question. Uh, like, who could we be bringing to things like the pub afterwards, to uh, little Mike Layton's uh, little bowling trip next week? Like, <laughs> who could we be bringing along to these events to show people that we are, yeah, we are more than just sort of a strange bunch of hippies? Uh, who could we be bringing in? to show people that they belong to this community. Has it ever struck you how confusing and inconsistent our emotions are? How sometimes the mood that you wake up in the morning can determine how the rest of your day pans out. And sometimes you can feel incredibly happy or incredibly sad, and for no obvious reason. Often our feelings can blur the truth. It's like when you're really convinced that someone finds you annoying or doesn't particularly like you, and then in the end you discover that it just wasn't true at all, it was just your own doubts and insecurities. The area that we live in calls itself post-truth, And it claims that objective truth doesn't exist. We all just work out our own personal truths based on how we think and feel about ourselves and about life. But whilst that might sound okay, it's not actually a very positive message. Because I know that personally, if I were to define myself based on my own feelings, then, well, first of all, my personal truth would change, like, all the time. But also, a lot of the time, the truth for me would be... I'm weak, I'm broken, I'm inadequate, I'm worthless. And perhaps you can identify because, realistically, we're all broken in at least some areas of our lives. But the amazing news is that I want to remind you of that if you know Jesus, he is what defines you. Because Jesus said, I am the truth. And he never changes Hebrews 11 says this, that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And this is so wonderful because it shows that faithfulness isn't about feeling holy 
or feeling bold or courageous or as if you've got it all together. Not at all. Faith is when you don't feel particularly lovable, but you know that regardless of your feelings, it doesn't alter the fact that God's love for you is constant and unshakable and defies human comprehension and its magnitude. Faith is when you feel utterly worthless, and yet you know with assurance that God considered you worthy of laying down his life for. In times when you feel broken or far from God, faith is being able to pray, I am sure of what I hope for and certain about what I don't see. Because my feelings don't define me. The truth is what defines me. And just to remind you, here are a few of the truths that the Bible declares about you. Galatians 4.7 You are God's son or daughter and you're his heir. John 15.15 You're Jesus' friend. How cool is that? <laughs> um, Romans 8.1 You are not condemned. 2 Corinthians 5.17 You are the righteousness of God. And then loads of verses from Ephesians. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You're chosen, holy, and blameless before God. You are God's workmanship. You are redeemed and forgiven. You have been set free. You are a citizen of heaven. And there are many, many more. The Bible is full of them. How you feel about yourself and how you feel in your relationship with God is going to change, and it's going to be inconsistent. But this is how God sees you through Christ, and he never changes. These truths are eternal, and this is what defines you, not your feelings. Now, I'm not saying that feelings are bad. A lot of time they can be given from God, and God uses them to speak to us, and it would be pretty rubbish if we didn't have them at all. But it can be so easy when we're feeling down or far from God to confuse feeling with the truth. In those times, don't disregard your emotions because it's healthy to acknowledge them and think about them and pray about them. And I encourage you to offer them to God and allow him to remind you of who you are in him. Because if you remember these truths, you can prophesy any of them over yourself at any time because they are always true. And even in dark times, if you can still pray, I am sure of what I hope for and certain of what I don't see, then that is real faith, and God really honors that. So I just want to take a minute for us to practice that. Um, I'd like you to consider your feelings from this morning or from the past week or from however long, and just take them to God, talk to him about them, and prophesy these things over yourself. If you feel it will help, you could... Maybe pick seven of them and like have one for each day of this week. Set a reminder on your phone or write in your diary and you can have a truth for each day and that, is, that will be what you remind yourself and prophesy of yourself for that day. Um, and now we're just going to pray and you can um, pray with the person next to you or you can just um, pray in the quietness of your own heart. So, I have this friend who's a vegan. It's no one here, don't you worry. Um, <laughs> but after a night out, she got back to her flat. Uh, was feeling a bit peckish, so opened a flatmate's fridge, took out some bacon, cooked it and ate it. 
The morning after being vegan, realizing what she'd done, she first of all went and apologized to her flatmate. He forgave her, and that was all fine. But now whenever anyone mentions bacon in conversation, she clearly gets restless and uncomfortable with that. See, in our lives, it may not be bacon which has caused the problem for you. It might have been bacon was actually a solution. Um, <laughs> but often that thing which may have caused hurt can linger with us after. The sense of what you have done is against what you believe, and we can begin to question and doubt ourselves, or even just a sense of shame or guilt over a situation. Romans 8 verse 1 says this, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is one of those verses where it's like, wow, God just sets you free from that. He says there's no condemnation, no sin or anything like that. So God forgives you and wants to set you free. But what's that mean we do? Is it purely passive acts where we just sit and wait for that freedom from God to fill our lives? We have this huge gift of freedom which God declares and sets us free from all sin. But that isn't just a freedom between you and God. That's actually a freedom between you, God, and freedom in yourself as well. So although you have this amazing gift of freedom which is declared over your life and freedom in yourself, do you forgive yourself in those situations? Or do you find that's actually only a freedom on a spiritual level between you and God? When you receive freedom from God, this is not a light-hearted thing at all. This is freedom from the one being worthy of judgment. And he says, people on an earthly level may judge. I'm the only one worthy and I don't. I set you free. I make you pure again. That freedom, him sending his son down to the cross to die a painful death, to set us free, he just declares freedom over all of our life. Freedom from sin or shame or anything in the past. This means we don't need to live a life free from condemnation just spiritually, but still living emotionally and internally condemned. (laughs) 8 verse 1, it says no condemnation. This isn't no condemnation between you and God. This is just no condemnation. We are truly set free. Am I not forgiving ourselves? That's effectively, we aren't accepting the true gift of freedom that Christ is offering us. God wants us to live lives free from guilt and shame, anything in the past and a life of freedom centered around him now i'm not at all saying this is an easy thing for me i struggled for years to understand how things in my past people could forgive let alone how could i go to god this almighty being who who's just so perfect and how can i come to him and expect forgiveness but actually he wants to set you free he loves you he says no matter what state you're in come to me and i will set you free i'll make you pure again he just loves us the song, Amanda, uh, the song by Amanda Cook called Mercy has really spoken to me recently. The lyrics go like this. My past embraced, my sin forgiven. I am blameless in your sight, my history rewritten. For you delight in mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. We are blameless in his sight. He just sets us free. Freedom is declared over our lives. What's that mean we practically do? I feel like the most important message to take away in the freedom we receive from God, that is freedom in ourselves as well. But to understand that, we have to know the heart of God and the fact He loves us so much and wants to set us free completely. Maybe you're sat here feeling like my vegan friend who couldn't shake off that, that guilt about the bacon. But actually, there's something in your life which isn't bacon, it might be, but actually, there's something which you just can't let go of. We're going to go into a time of prayer shortly and time of worship. I just encourage you to 
bring those things to the forefront of your mind and just offer them to God. And as Samuel was saying, just lay it all down at the foot of the cross. Or as Liz was saying, those truths declared. Yeah, let's pray. Yeah, Lord, thank you, Father, for the freedom you've declared over our lives. I pray that you'll just draw us closer to you and to help us to truly understand the love you have for us all and to help us understand the freedom you give over our life. Amen.